Kia ora. I'm Damien Venuto. It's October 4th and this is The Front Page, a daily podcast presented by the New Zealand Herald. Nearly 600,000 rental properties across New Zealand are home to 1.3 million tenants. The relationship between those renters and landlords hangs in the balance of this election. Under the current Labour government, we've seen a number of strong protections come in to give renters more certainty. But now, both National and ACT are promising to reverse some of those restrictions and in doing so, return more power to the landlords. On the front page today, NZ Herald property editor Anne Gibson breaks down policy differences between the parties and explains why even small changes could drastically shift the balance of power. And can you talk to us about the relationship between renters and landlords at the moment? Where does the balance of power lie? Yes, a couple of years ago, the government reformed the law and that meant that it swung the balance more towards tenants. So what happened is back in February 2021, we saw what I called, no one called me out over it, uh, the biggest shake-up in rental property law in 35 years. And that was certainly the case because Labour ruling alone basically amended the law to ensure that landlords had less say and tenants had more. And also Labour had been amending other aspects to do with tax and income. So it was kind of like a double whammy effect on landlords. Now, and the biggest shakeup came in the shape of the Residential Tenancies Amendment Act. What impact did that have on the relationship? Yes, instead of landlords basically being able to terminate without a reason, what Labour did was say landlords have to say why they sought for the termination of a rental relationship. And they were restricted on what they could do. So they could only cite things like moving a family member into a rental property, demolishing the property or changing its use. Those were some of the key reasons. So instead of being able to go to a tenant and say, look, you're out, you know, within 90 days or whatever it was, they were actually quite restricted. And what that did was make tenants feel a lot more secure. So all the politicians at the moment are in campaign mode. What are National and ACT promising to roll back if put in power? This is three key areas here. The first is that no-cause termination, which I've just discussed. The second is the Brightline test. So both National and ACT are aligned on this. Instead of the Brightline test, which is a an anti-flipper measure, being 10 years, They want to bring it back to two. So that would mean that the tax law changes. So at the moment, that Brightline test tries to discourage people from buying and selling rental properties. And what the Labour government did there was it was saying, look, we're afraid that landlords are competing at the bottom end of the market with the first home buyers. So we're going to change the tax law to reverse that. The third area that's talked about changing is another tax aspect, and it's reversing ring fencing. So this is being able to offset rental property losses against your wage and salary. So landlords lost that, and they squealed very loudly about that. They said, look, you know, being able to offset losses is a normal part of a business. You can usually claim deductions for that. But the government said no. So all those three things could change if there's a National Act coalition. What um, groups working with homeless people have told me is that one thing you could do to try and get those people into the rental market is bring back the ability for landlords to give 90 days notice to terminate a tenancy. 
If you want to kick someone out of their home, you should have a reason and you should be able to explain that quite clearly. The fact that National has come in and said we should be able to kick people out without any reason instead of perhaps suggesting some extra reasons that they might want to add suggests to me that they're more interested in people being able to keep a profit than keeping people in homes. And if I was a renter looking at those proposed changes, I would become a little bit nervous, particularly when you look at something like reinstating 90-day no-fault termination. So what is the real benefit here in making things so much tougher on renters and so much more insecure on those who are renting? Yes, the fear here is that tenants would be less secure in their properties. And some have complained that when they improve a place, like do some painting or plant a garden, that they're then asked to leave and it seems unfair. But on the other hand, landlords objected to using the freer right to terminate and said that hardly ever happened anyway. Plus, landlords say that accessing the law is difficult and slow and the tenancy tribunal, it takes a while to get in there, then it takes a while to get the ruling. So um, you can see it from both sides, can't you? It certainly seems that the landlords on one side want greater flexibility, whereas the renters on the other side just want security, want to know that they can stay in the homes where they currently are. Yes, that's part of it. That's a big part of it. But of course, I get it from both sides. So I hear of tenants who feel more empowered and act in a way that is negative towards landlords. And I also hear of landlords who act in a way that they shouldn't with tenants. And we see that quite regularly in the tenancy tribunal decisions. I mean, there's about a dozen of them every day. On the other side of the political divide, we do have the Greens and Te Pāti Māori fighting for renters. So how do they think the law should change? They would be far more in favour of tenants, and their policies include things like rent controls. So being capped at an increase of only 3% per annum, regardless of where you are in New Zealand, and also a landlord register, so they want all the names listed. They want a rental warrant of fitness. I had a niece who was at medical school in Dunedin, and she told me once that it was better to put the vegetables in the fridge at night rather than on the bench, because if you left them on the bench, they froze. So my fear about a rental warrant of fitness is would that mean that, say, most of the rental stock for students in Dunedin would not be fit for purpose? And of course, people should not be living in houses that are not fit for purpose. But on the other hand, if you make these policy changes, they can have such a detrimental effect on the market. You know, I don't know, 15,000 students need to live in Dunedin and many of them need to live in rental properties. We hope you're finding this episode of The Front Page insightful. Follow us on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. And for more premium coverage from our top riders, head to nzherald.co.nz slash premium to subscribe. And we've spoken in the past about the impact of families being forced to move and move around. Can you talk a little bit about what impact that has on a family when they have to move house to a different part of town, to a different region, or just because they've been evicted from their rental? Yes, this particularly affects that lower socioeconomic area. And the problem is if you're having to move GPs, schools, if you're having to leave the community that you're embedded in, it has really negative social consequences. So this is one area of the power balance where there's a big determiner here to try and keep people in a more stable rental situation. 
their home, their family, where they're based, that is where the heart is. And, you know, it's not in families' interests to be moving around necessarily in a very insecure rental situation. And in the current rental market in a place like Auckland, you don't necessarily want to be without a rental because of how difficult it can be to find a new place to stay. Yes, and I see that on social media too, and I'm sure you do. People who've just arrived in a suburb looking for a place, they've got a family, they might have a pet, a dog or a cat, finding it really tough to get a property and, you know, my heart goes out to them. And you see a lot of people in my community, which is on the North Shore, you know, rallying around to try and help them get accommodation and settle in. And often too, it's people who've been given notice and have to leave and are really concerned about Just what we've talked about, keeping the children at school or being able to keep a dog still. I can't help but look at the local New Zealand system and contrast it to what you might see in developed countries in Europe. So why are Aotearoa's rental protections so loose compared to those that we see internationally in places like the Netherlands or Germany? I know. I've got a friend in Germany who's been in his one house for about 30 years now, and I've visited him there in Osnabrück in the north part of Germany. And, you know, they've got purpose-built apartments too there, and they've got a long history of renting. We just don't seem to have that history here, and we don't have that history of getting the power balance right between the tenants and the landlords. We've been funded by the Health Research Council to find out how we can improve housing to improve health, to stop those 40,000 children going into hospital each year and to stop all the ACC bills. These are minimums, are basic requirements for housing in New Zealand. Absolutely basic. If they were, we were in Germany, they would probably laugh at us. Why do you think it is that landlords have allowed their properties to become so unfit for purpose and left them for so long in that state where they're almost a bad home for the people who are renting these places? I guess the grim reality there is most houses in New Zealand are unfit to live in. They're not insulated. They're cold. They're drafty. Many of them leak. They're not well heated. We didn't do housing very well in New Zealand, did we? You know, when you look back on it. Compared to, I don't know if you've stayed in houses, um, obviously in Europe and in North America and in Asia, where in many cases they get the heating and the cooling right, for example. So there was no law that basically said that landlords had to bring rental properties up to a standard which was fit for purpose until we had the Healthy Homes Act or the Healthy Homes Regulations, which mean, for example, you need a fixed form of heating to get the main living area up to a minimum of 18 degrees Celsius. So this seems like fairly basic things, but if you look at a lot of houses in New Zealand, they don't already have those amenities. So sometimes a nudge of legislation can help push things in the right direction. Absolutely. Healthy homes, what that was about was the rate of asthmatic, rheumatic fever and other illnesses amongst children who were living in rental properties that were unfit for purpose. I mean, I hate to say this, but 60,000 state houses for a start off, you look at those things. Now, they were labelled killer boxes. That's the little three-bedroom weatherboard state house that we were so proud of for so many years. In fact, living in one of those places meant they were so cold in the winter and hot in the summer, they were really not fit for purpose. And it is to Kanga Ora's great pride at the moment that we've got that huge upgrade of the state house stock going on. Biggest landlord in New Zealand, the government, via Kanga Ora Homes and Communities. And, you know, they're doing their utmost at the moment to build more intensely on sites, which is quite controversial in established neighbourhoods. 
but also to build places that are really warm and dry and sunny and fit for purpose and that can suit the rental market, which, you know, in the state housing market is often for people who live alone. So you don't need those three bedrooms on the quarter acre sites, right? We often hear this refrain of landlords threatening to sell their properties when restrictions are tightened. Is there any evidence of this happening throughout history? Well, a data journalist at the Herald, Chris McDowell, and I last year studied this, and we went to tenancy services to find the number of bonds lodged. That's really the only measure of rental housing numbers, because that is the government authority. And what we found is that the number of bonds rose 15% over seven years. So the threats to sell proved false. Now, economist Shaman Bill Jacob and his wife Selena, they wrote a very good book published by Bridget Williams Books a few years ago, and it was called Generation Rent. And it argued for a lot of the changes that the Labour government has made. And what Shaman Bill said as well was, look, it's a myth. The landlords don't necessarily sell when the law changes. But it is a frightening prospect, isn't it? Because we know that we need housing choice, and we know that not everyone can afford their own house or apartment, or whatever it is. And so, you know, we don't want to move the levers too much in one direction or the other because it could affect the supply. While for my parents and their parents it was absolutely possible to get into housing and have that Kiwi dream, it's simply not possible anymore. It's not enough to be educated. It's not enough to have a job. You must have a rich parent. You must have somebody who's going to give you a hand. Otherwise, it just doesn't work. Given that we have nearly 600,000 rental properties across the country, isn't it somewhat worrying that so much capital in this country is invested in something that simply isn't as productive as other forms of investment? Yes, that's right. More than um, 70% of New Zealand wealth is evidently tied up in residential property, and the Reserve Bank has long warned against that, and the late Brian Gaynor, who was a Herald journalist, he talked about the effect that had on our capital market. So there was less investment going on in the share market and we were splurging too much. You know, we're overdoing the house thing, right? I think it's the the single thing that preoccupies the attention of everyone in this country. The barbecue set this summer, house prices. And what happened in your suburb? And what examples do you have? Yeah, where are house prices going? Are they going up or are they going down? Where are interest rates going? Those are the two questions that I think captivate everyone. (laughs) And two years ago, you declared that we had the biggest shake-up in the rental sector in 35 years. Where do you think the dust will settle if National and Act now take over? Yes, well, it's a bit of an insurance policy writing the story in advance because if they do signal their intention to go ahead and they are in coalition, this could swing the balance back towards landlords away from tenants. That could be the way that things go. And it wouldn't take much to do that. This is the signal that the parties have given. This is the intention. And, well, wait and see. So there's a lot at stake over here. We're talking about 1.3 million people that could be affected by a change in government. So anyone who does care needs to get out there and vote, right? Absolutely. Get out there and exercise your democratic right. Thanks for joining us, Anne. That's it for this episode of The Front Page. You can read more about today's stories and extensive news coverage at nzherald.co.nz. 
The Front Page is produced by Sean D. Wilson and edited by Paddy Fox with executive producer Ethan Sills. I'm Damien Venuto. Subscribe to The Front Page on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. And tune in tomorrow for another look behind the headlines.